Our scripture passage today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And this uh, passage here takes place uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, after his first appearances to his disciples. And this is the part where Jesus is ascending into heaven and he's giving the very last words, at least on earth, that he gives to his followers. Uh, before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and wonderful Father, we thank you for your revealed word that you have given to us. We thank you also that you have revealed this word into our hearts and that as we read, Lord, and uh, attempt to comprehend with our minds, there is your spirit that opens that heart and mind that we can hear and that we can read and can understand. But Father, we know we cannot understand it without that same spirit that guided these words to guide us now. And so, Lord, I pray that that spirit be upon us, Lord, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of discernment. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I had um, first graduated seminary, my first job was a job as a hospital chaplain. It was a local hospital in Richmond, Virginia. I had that job for a year while I was waiting for Liz to finish her degree. And um, part of that job meant being what they call on-call chaplain. And that meant manning the, the chaplain's office at night and having a pager and responding to all the calls that you'd get, requests in the middle of the night and things like that. And, and sometimes we'd have people just stopping by the office. And I remember one night, real late, a guy came by to stop by the chaplain's office on a way to check himself into our uh, psychiatric hospital. And he didn't want to talk. He just wanted to leave me this note. And then he, he left and went to check himself in. And, and I opened the note immediately, and I started reading it. And the note was about just all just this immense suffering that this man had been going through lately. Just, uh, just a great despair on his heart. Just this feeling of hopelessness. And just a sense of where he didn't know where to go anymore. And at the bottom of the note, he had written the words, he said, uh, to a hymn that he had sung as a child. And I had never heard of this hymn before. But on reading the hymn, it stuck in my mind immediately. And I've never been able to forget it. And, and I don't know all the words of the hymns. There are just a few, a few lines that really stood out to me. And the one that really stood out is that he wrote on there, 
shall I empty-handed to my Savior go. Not one soul with which to greet him shall I empty-handed to my Savior go. Shall I empty-handed to my Savior go, not one soul with which to greet him. I remember reading this, and I was absolutely horrified. I thought, this is some terrible theology. I sure am glad we never sang this hymn in my church growing up. I mean, to start off, the theology was what we call a works righteousness theology, that you've got to do a certain amount of works in order for you to get into heaven. You kind of earn your way into heaven uh, by doing good things. But this just wasn't any work he had to do. In order to get into heaven, this man believed he had to go out and save souls. You had to go out and save a certain number of souls for Jesus. And, and the more souls that you saved, that was, all just, that was all just kind of money to your credit. That was kind of grace to your credit. And you built that up by saving souls. And that was the way that you could enter into heaven. And it's just, like I said, absolutely terrible theology. Because first of all, we don't, we don't save anybody. We don't have the power to save anyone. We can share the gospel of the good news with people. We encourage them to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, but we don't save anyone. And it's awful to think that in order for me to get into heaven, I've got to have this, this huge train of souls behind me that people that I have saved that are, that are there just to kind of shine upon my credit of all the great things that I have done. And I remember reading this and thinking that there's, no wonder this guy had such a tortured soul. If he was living his life thinking that in order to be accepted and to loved by God, that he had to perform. And that performance meant basically just being a good salesman for God. You may have heard of churches that preach this kind of theology. Maybe you know of people that have this kind of theology. This belief, this this emphasis on evangelism and and it's not bad to emphasize evangelism but sometimes the evangelism becomes the be-all and end-all of church existence the only reason that they exist is to do the work of evangelism and it becomes not just the central activity of the church it becomes the only activity of the church it's going out there and trying to win converts for jesus christ and if you've ever met a person that's like that more likely than not, they've tried to convert you. And then if they find out you're a Christian, they're actually kind of disappointed. They're like, oh, really? All right, well, I thought I was going to get another tally today, but I guess not. And sometimes they'll even argue with you. You know, are you sure you're saved? Are you positive? Because you might not be really saved just because you think you're saved. But they got to make sure because that is the be-all and end-all of their faith life. Now, you might not know this, but Presbyterians are not like that. Presbyterians do not suffer from the mistake of putting too much emphasis on evangelism. Actually, we have a whole different kind of mistake. We don't put enough emphasis on evangelism. Or maybe I should clarify that. We don't put any emphasis on evangelism. Really, as far as evangelism goes, I mean, we're not... We're like trailing the pack. I mean, we're really far behind on this kind of thing. And I'm not sure why we're not great evangelists. Maybe we're kind of the mind your own business type of people. 
you know, I'm not going to get in your business a whole lot. Or maybe we focus on other areas of ministry more than evangelism. Or maybe because we believe in predestination, we don't really have to do much anyway, you know. You're predestined to get saved, you'll get saved. Someone says, well, what do I need to do to get saved? To be, Oh, don't worry about it. You're predestined. It'll work out if you're supposed to. Whatever reason it is, we're not known for being that evangelical. We're not known for being really good evangelists. And honestly, it's hurt us. It's hurt the denomination. And it's not something just in PCUSA, our brand of Presbyterian is all Presbyterians have seen a great decline over the last 50 years. And in fact, it's something that's, that's, that's touched the whole mainstream Protestant denominations of America. And I think one of the big reasons is we have not put a strong focus on evangelism. And we've seen our numbers drop as a consequence. We have forget, forgotten, by and large, this critical command that Christ has given us. Go forth, make disciples of all nations. It's a, our faith is a faith of sending out. It's not a faith of sitting in. It's a, it's a faith of going out. We, we've done the missions part of the going out really good, uh, digging wells and feeding the hungry, helping the poor. We've excelled in that, but the evangelism part of going out, we've kind of lagged behind. We've forgotten that this is a critical command. These are the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went to heaven. And being the last words, we've got to know, we've got to understand these as important words. And the last thing he said to his disciples, he says, go out to the world and make more of you. Make more disciples. Every single nation, every single race on the earth, go out and make disciples. And if we're living by faith, we're going to go and make disciples. That's what we've been talking about here in the Lenten season, living by faith. And, and we mean that as opposed to living with faith. When you're, when you're living with faith, you believe everything a Christian believes, but it makes no impact on your life at all. But what we've been commanded to do is live by faith, which means your faith makes an impact in your life. Your faith is the most important thing about your life. Your faith is what shapes and gives the direction to your life. And if we're serious about our faith, if we're serious about this faith in Jesus Christ, then we should all be compelled to go and share this faith with other people. If we're serious about this faith we have in Jesus, we should be compelled, at least on some level, to go out and share this faith with other people. Just, just think about for a minute. Think about what our faith is. Think about with the foundation of what it is that we believe. We believe that every human being, all of us, are sinners. That all of us bear the weight of original sin. We bear the weight of our own sin. And, and bearing this weight, if we were to go to God face to face with this, then we would rightly be condemned to death. It says in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. And, and, and the wages of that sin being death, we don't always like to use the H word in here. But he's talking about hell. It's about the condemnation of, of bearing the burden and the consequence of our own sin. 
But our belief goes much further than that, of course, because we have this weight of sin, but this, sin, this weight can be relieved. It has been relieved through the death of, of death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and all of our sins and all of this weight of sin upon us can be taken off. It can all be forgiven. And the death that we so rightly deserved has been lifted off as well through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so death is not the end of us, that we have been given eternal life in Christ Jesus, that we have been destined, we have been predestined to be with our Savior forever. And that forgiveness of sins and, and eternal life is not something that we can do on our own. It's not something that you and I can accomplish out of our own effort. The only way we can do it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only way that we take hold of this forgiveness, the only way we take hold of this eternal life is to give our lives to Christ. And when we give our lives to Christ, we are given this, I mean, it's really an incredible deal if you think about it. Jesus says, you give me your life and I'll give you my life. I mean, it's, it's a life for a life, but the life he's given us is a lot better than the life that we can give him. And we're reluctant to let go of it because it's the only thing we have but what he's offering us in return is so much greater than anything we can possess on our own. He says, I'll take your, your broken down, sinful, meant for death life. I'll take that one and I'll give you my eternal life. I mean, that's like, you know, Bill Gates or, or Jeff Bezos going to a guy who's living in the shack in the swamp that's falling down and says, you know what? I want to trade your house for my house. How about that? You give me your old beaten up house and I'll give you my mansion. Like, yeah, of course I'll take that. And that's what he offers us. Give me your old, sinful, beaten up life that's going to die one day, and I'll give you my life that's eternal life. Now, if we really believe this, if we really believe that this is what Christ is offering us, why wouldn't we share it with everybody? If we really believe this, if we really believe in what we call the good news, this is the best news the world has ever heard. It's the best news the world can possibly hear, and there's not even a second that's even close to it. That's how good that this news is. In fact, this news is so good, even bad news isn't as bad anymore. Even the worst news that we can get in life, is, it gets dulled because of this good news. It's like when Paul said, death has lost its sting. Where, O oh, death, is thy sting? The worst news we can get, we can be told that we have a, a fatal disease or, or someone that we love has died. And that's still bad news, don't get me wrong. But the good news takes the edge, it, takes the, it blunts the edge of that bad news. Because we know life goes on. Because we know that sins are forgiven. And if we really believe this, why wouldn't we share it? If you really believe this, why wouldn't we let the whole world know? But the truth is, we're not great evangelists. The truth is, we don't go out and let a lot of people know about it. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. And I'm as Presbyterian as anybody else in here. 
And, and I wonder if we, this, this news is so good and we really believe this good news, why don't we share it? And it's not because we don't believe. I think we really do believe it. I don't think that is our issue. Because I'm convinced that you believe it just as strongly as I do. That's not why we don't go out and share it as much as we should. I think our issue is we've grown up with this good news. We've had this good news so much in our life that it's become it's become, well, just regular life now. It's become our reality. It almost doesn't matter how powerful some news is or an idea is if you hear it enough times or if you live with it and it becomes your reality. It just becomes kind of almost in the background a little bit. I mean, just think that the sun rising every morning is an absolute miracle. It's an absolute miracle. But how many of us get up in the morning and marvel at the sun rising. We don't because it risen every day. We expect it to rise. It's just part of our reality. But what if it wasn't? What if you've lived your whole life in darkness? What if your whole life was one day, one night, after another, after another, after another, and then one day you woke up and you were at a place where the sun rose for the first time? Imagine what that would be like. It would just, you would see it for the miracle. You're like, what is this? There's, there's light and there's color and there's warmth. And I never imagined for a second that we could live life like this. And you would go and tell everybody you knew in the darkness. Say, look, you don't need to live here anymore. There's a place we can go and the sun rises every morning and it's beautiful and there's light and there's warmth and it's light. Come on, let's hurry. Don't stay here any longer. Let's go to the light. That's what the good news is. That's what the good news is to people who have never heard the good news. It is light and a life that has known nothing but darkness. But for us, it's just like the sun rising every day. It's, it's, it's our reality. And let me, don't get me wrong, it's great, it's your reality. I'm glad that you don't live in the night anymore. I'm glad that you live and your reality is the sun rising in your life every morning. I'm so happy it's like that. But we often forget it's not everybody's reality. Not everybody lives knowing the sun is coming. People out there who don't know Christ... There are people out there who must face judgment alone. There are people out there, if our Bible is true and this word is accurate, are going to be facing eternal punishment. But even before that happens, some of these same people are going through life thinking that they're just a random accident, that their life is nothing but atoms and chemicals and matter just smashing around in their brain. The people that believe that when death comes to them, that death ends everything at all permanently. There's people that believe that life is essentially pointless, that we don't have any deep purpose. There's people out there that believe that nobody cares about them. That they are not loved just for who they are. That's a tragedy. Because there's people out there who have never seen the sun rise in their life. They don't know the good news. They don't know the good news and they have no idea how good it is. 
Because all they've known is condemnation and anger and rejection and darkness. And they're hungry to hear it. People are still hungry to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Even if they don't know what they hunger and they thirst for, it's for the good news of Jesus Christ. And yes, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people to conversion. Yes, it's Jesus that saves. We don't save. But we're the ones that have to tell people about it. We are the ones that tell, have to tell people you don't have to live in the night your entire life. You can go to a place where the sun is going to rise on you. And if we're living out our faith, if we're living out in the saving power of Jesus Christ that we say it is, we've got to share that faith with others. We've got to share that faith with everybody we know. Now, I know some of y'all are getting queasy about this. I know some of y'all are very uncomfortable because I'm talking about evangelism, and evangelism makes Presbyterians uncomfortable. I know because it makes me uncomfortable. But I want to clarify to you what I mean about evangelism. I'm not asking you to go out and preach on a street corner. I'm not going asking you to go up to total strangers and asking them really personal information. Like, hey, you don't know me, but do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? All right, excuse me, sir. Uh, if you were to die right now, would you go to hell or not? Do you know that? I'm like, who are you? Get away from me. That's not effective. It's kind of annoying, too. In fact, the most effective evangelism is through personal relationships. That's where the most effective evangelism takes place is through your personal relationships. In fact, most people have been brought to Christ not by strangers, but by somebody they know. And if, if it's not by someone they know that brought them to Christ, it's people in their life that first introduced them to the idea or, or was a major influence on them coming to Christ. Not strangers. It's the people in their life. What Christ is asking us to do is tell people about the good news. Do people in your life know you're a Christian? The people you work with? Your friends? People you go to school with? Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know about your faith? Do people in your life even know the good news? Now, we live in the South, and we expect everybody is a Christian. But you don't know that everyone in your life knows the good news of Jesus Christ. And they might actually be a Christian and have no idea about the good news of Jesus Christ. They may still be laboring under this bad news that they've got to earn their way into heaven. And they haven't heard the good news yet. Well, we're saved by the grace of God. When I'm talking about evangelism, I'm talking about looking for opportunities to share your faith with others. Praying for the Spirit to give you an opportunity and, and the Spirit to guide you in the moment. This is about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not a sales pitch. All right, and we're not keeping a tally. Right, there's no scorecard of who's got the most conversions. You're never going to see a big sign in here with the numbers going, how many conversions we got today? Kind of like a telethon, you know. We're not shutting down today until 100 souls are saved. 
Everybody buckle down. It's about being a force for Christ to the people in your life. You don't have to go out and talk to strangers at all. But being a force for Jesus Christ to the people in your life. And no, your salvation does not depend on how many people you get to sign up for the church, okay? It's not a pyramid scheme. Your salvation doesn't depend on that. Your righteousness doesn't depend on how many people you've converted, all right? Your Christian glow of holiness is not going to increase with the more conversions that you get under your belt. It's about living out your faith. It's living out the faith that Christ saves. It's living out our belief that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. It's being the voice of Christ to the people in your life. And ultimately, this is the best way to love your neighbor as yourself. Because think about it. If you have got the secret to eternal life, the most loving thing you can do to your neighbor is share it with them. Is to share it with her. The secret to eternal life. Now at this point in the sermon, I should probably do an altar call. But I know most of you out here. And we don't do altar calls in the Presbyterian church. We do invitations to discipleship. And I don't know who's watching. So I would like to invite you to discipleship. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, to get to know Him. If you don't know what it's like to have the sun rise upon your life and to live in the light, I invite you out of the darkness. But because I know most of you, I want to give you an invitation to an invitation to Christian discipleship. That means I invite you to invite others. You don't know what other people are thinking. You don't know if they've ever heard the good news. Just... Look for a chance to share the good news with other people in your life. Look for a chance to be the force and the voice of Jesus Christ to the people that you love the most. That's how we start to share the gospel with the world.